This recording begins with a reading of the Gospel of the Day. That will be followed by the homily from Father Paul O'Brien. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. John was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they went and saw where Jesus was staying and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two who heard John and followed Jesus. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. Then he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The Gospel of the Lord. Last Monday, we completed the Christmas season and the church's liturgical year and began ordinary time. You may remember, not ordinary in the sense of blah, ordinary from the Latin word for counting. So it's the longest season of the church's liturgical year. It goes from now through Ash Wednesday, and then after the Easter season from Pentecost until next Advent. My goal, and I hope yours is too, is to make every Sunday the priority of my life to come and hear God's word, to really listen to it, to, if I can, receive Jesus in the Eucharist so he can grow in me, and to get out onto these streets of this city to help build his kingdom one week at a time, ordinary, counting it out, week at a time. It's also, for all of us who we're praying for and trying to cooperate with the grace of the Christmas season, this is how we're going to see that grace hopefully unfold in the choices we make and the things God does through us. We should see Jesus reborn in us as we live our lives, centered on this Eucharist, one week at a time. There's a spiritual dynamic in those readings that I think is quite important and a real gift from God as we begin 2024. So I invite you to consider it's a pattern to me in all the readings. First reading is from the first book of Samuel in the Old Testament. It's set about a thousand years before Jesus. It's focused on, or this part of it, a person named Samuel who is, ends up as an adult being one of the most important figures in the Old Testament. He's one of the people in our Jewish heritage whom God most powerfully calls to be God's speaker in this world, to reveal truths that many of which you and I take for granted. The story that we just heard, the passage I should say, is when Samuel is very young. His mother, his birth to his mother is a miracle. And so she dedicates him as a young child to the service of God, to God, and ultimately a service in the temple at Shiloh. She brings him and she leaves him there with a priest named Eli. Eli is old and his sight is failing. Samuel is a young kid. The scripture writer says that at this time in salvation history, for someone to have a vision from God, or a direct personal revelation from God is extremely unusual. It's not something anyone would expect, least of all with a child. So in the passage we just heard, Samuel and Eli are asleep in the temple at night, doing service to the temple, sleeping there. Their their duty is to be there. Samuel hears 
presumably Eli calling him. So he gets up and he goes to Eli and he says, you called me, here I am. Eli says, shut up, kid. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I didn't call you, go back to sleep. Have you had this with your own children? They're dreaming something, they're walking this, maybe you have, I don't know, whatever. I didn't call you, go back to sleep. Second time, he hears, Samuel hears himself being called. He goes to Eli, he says, you called me, here I am. I did not call you, go back to sleep. Third time, Samuel hears himself being called. He goes to Eli, he says, here I am, you called me. Eli, who clearly is of God, realizes it's God who's calling Samuel. So what is he going to do? What is he going to tell Samuel to do? Seems like an obvious thing until you remember the backstory. Go home and read the second and third chapter of 1 Samuel. The backstory is Eli has two adult sons who by their family lineage serve in the temple. They are grotesquely immoral people. They steal for themselves the best part of the offerings that people bring to the temple to honor God. It's not neither here nor there. It's about a food sacrifice, but it's not about the food, it's about God. They're supposed to be serving God and God's people, and they take the best of it to eat it for themselves. More importantly, these two sons are having illicit sexual relationships with women who work in the meeting tent. The scripture writer says it is grievously sinful, and they have been warned that there will be consequences for this. This sin really matters. It's not just about them. It's about God's people. We've seen this in the church. It's about people who are supposed to be serving God doing absolutely the opposite. It's horrible. So the consequences are going to be grave. And if you do go and read this, it's a little confusing because of the nature of their two different stories that come together in the final text. Eli also has been told that there will be consequences for his own sins. He's not grievously sinful, but the point for this is he knows that his sons are horribly sinful. He's been warned by God. There are going to be terrible consequences, and the same thing for himself. So, vision for Samuel. God's going to tell Samuel something. Does Eli want to hear what God has to say? Probably not because it's probably not going to be good news for himself or for his children. Eli loves God. Eli loves Samuel. And Eli does love God's people. So Eli makes the decision to tell Samuel, next time you hear yourself being called, you say, here I am, Lord. Your servant is listening. He tells him to listen for the word of God as it is. He could tell him, yeah, sure, listen, but then I'll tell you what it really means. He could tell him, don't really, oh, you're half asleep, so, you know, maybe listen. He tells him to accept the word of God as it is. The word of God turns out to be the house of Eli is going to be destroyed. In the morning, Samuel is very reluctant to tell Eli what the message of God is for understandable reasons. And Eli tells him, you tell, I'm paraphrasing, you tell me the whole thing. Don't leave anything out. The message is the house of Eli will be destroyed because of their horrible sinfulness. And the story goes on. They go out into a battle. Eli's two sons are killed. The word comes back to Eli. He falls off his chair, hits the ground, hits his head on the ground, and dies. 
Good morning, happy Sunday. That's a very unpleasant story, but the point is, in the midst of real life, down and dirty life, Eli accepts the word of God as it is, not because he's the center of the universe, because God is, and everybody deserves to hear the word of God as it is. We'll see how it unfolds. So follow the pattern. Gospel reading we just heard. On the second Sunday of Ordinary Time, we always hear one or another passage from the beginning of the Gospel of John about the beginning of Jesus's ministry. So this one is John the Baptist. You all know this, I believe. John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus. He is the person who, through God's grace, tells our Jewish ancestors the long-awaited Messiah is here. He's about to enter into your lives. When Jesus, as an adult, comes into people's lives, John has to make a decision. What is he going to do? Jesus is the Word of God, capital T, capital W. He's God. Everything Jesus says, everything he does, is nothing but God's truth. But think about it. John the Baptist has attracted thousands and thousands of people to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah. He's got to get really good human support from that. He has disciples, people who are following him, living with him as their very good teacher. He knows, because he says in the scripture, when Jesus comes, he, John, is going to have to decrease in people's lives so Jesus can increase. He's going to lose his disciples, or at least some of them, which has got to be a loss. So for him personally, so what is he going to do? He has every choice in the world. When Jesus comes along, he can say, eh, maybe. He can say, yeah, yeah, the Messiah, but don't leave me. Don't move to Kansas. Stay with me. Just go see Jesus during the day. Come back and stay with me so we can all be together. Don't want to let go. Can anyone relate to this? He says when Jesus walks in, behold, the Lamb of God. That's it. He accepts the Word of God as he is directly. He doesn't edit it. He doesn't bring in his own needs. He doesn't bring in his own opinions. And I think you know, his life does not become easier. His disciples, some of them, of course, and that's what we just heard, they leave him and they begin to follow Jesus. His life becomes more complicated. You remember this from the scripture? He gets quite confused over time because Jesus doesn't turn out to be the Messiah he expected. He ends up being arrested. He ends up being killed by a crazy person, a crazy king. His life is a real passion, but he lets the word of God in as he really is. And ultimately, he's brought to glory. He's brought to eternal glory. Third example, really powerful example, is in that second reading we just heard. So this is St. Paul. You remember St. Paul is a terribly sinful person and a murderous opponent of Christianity who has Jesus enter into his life through the power of the Holy Spirit and becomes one of his greatest followers. Paul is the founder of the Christian community at Corinth. Corinth is a crazy, pagan, immoral place. And these Christians do sincerely believe in Jesus. In many ways, they're following Jesus. In many ways, they're not. Word has reached Paul that many of these Christians at Corinth are living really seriously immoral lives sexually. 
They're involved in all sorts of sexual relationships outside of marriage. It's like New Hampshire. It is just yeesh, some of it. It's not just an affair here or there. And so Paul knows this. Paul has received the truth of Jesus about sexuality. Jesus teaches an awful lot to the world, and it's news about human sexuality. Jesus teaches men and women are equal. That's still news in a lot of this world. Jesus teaches that God gives a gift to most people of a marriage, a man and a woman, that's an indissoluble bond because God makes it so. Jesus teaches that people who are prostitutes and who are adulterers are completely embraced by him and loved by him and called to conversion by him, called to conversion by him. Jesus teaches that every sexual relationship outside of that marriage that God creates is unconditionally immoral. Paul knows all this. What is he going to do? And an awful lot of us have been in this position. He loves these people. He knows their limitations. He knows the immorality of the world in which they live. What is he going to do? Is he going to tell them the truth? Is he going to water down the truth? Is he going to say, you know, you're a really good person. You're following Jesus in certain ways. Don't worry about it. Is he going to just be quiet about the truth? Because what if they don't come for Thanksgiving dinner? Is he going to make up his own version? Well, you know, I think, Jesus teaches this, I know I've heard that, but I think this, and I think you're okay. He gives them the word of God as he's received it, as it is. Not his version, not the edited version, not the personalized version. That passage, and many of you in this community know that passage, for 2,000 years since he makes the choice to say what he says, that is one of the single most important words of God that has opened up the truth to so many of us. He says, you are baptized. From the moment you were baptized, God purchased your life. You were condemned to sin and death. God purchased your life at a price, and the price is the death, the life of his son. You belong to God because of that. All of you, including your body, you belong to God. Your body is not yours, it's God's. If you choose to live a sexual relationship with someone other than the spouse God has given you, you are giving what does not belong to you to someone who has no right to it. You, if you choose to live your sexuality outside of what God wants, you are giving away what belongs to God. But if you live it with the person whom God has chosen for you, you will glorify God. You will experience in that relationship God's glory through that relationship. What you're looking for is in that relationship whether it exists already or it's in the future. There are so many Christians, including, again, I presume some of you, who when they hear that word from Paul 2,000 years later say, I get it. I actually believe it, and I can live this. If he did not choose to share the word of God 
as it is, many of us would not be in the glory of God that we do experience. So, easy pattern. I invite you to consider that this week. One of the great of many strengths of this community is, I think most of us come here seeking the Word of God as it is, through the Scripture, through the teaching of the church. Not somebody's personalized version, not some 2024 American television version, the actual truth. I am resolved this year to come here to seek the actual Word of God as it is and to struggle with it together and to work with it together and to try to grow with it in it together. This is what sets us free. You have been listening to Father Paul O'Brien, pastor of St. Patrick Parish in Lawrence, Massachusetts. For more information about the parish and to get involved, please go to stpatrickparish.com or follow us on social media. Thank you for listening.